Welcome to This Week in Church History. We're grateful you joined us for a wide-ranging conversation about events in the history of the church. Here are our hosts, Dr. Michael McMullen and John Mark Yates. Alone with none but thee, my God, I journey on my way. What need I fear when thou art near, O King of night and day? More safe am I within thy hand than if a host did round me stand. This quote, this poetry, is attributed to Columba and is reflective of his missionary and evangelistic work. On May 12, 563, Columba landed on the island of Iona and began strategic work to engage northern Scotland with the gospel. To talk about this today, I am joined by my colleague, Dr. Robin Hathaway, the Senior Professor of Missions here at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Dr. Hathaway came to Midwestern following 18 years of service with the International Mission Board, where he served as a church planner in North Africa and Tanzania. He is most recently the author of A Survey of World Missions, published by Brahman and Holman Publishers just last year. This, in my opinion, is a book everyone should pick up to understand the great task that is before us. So welcome to This Week in Church History, Dr. Hathaway. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. So before we jump in talking about Columba, this early missionary that we have historical records for, um, talk to me about your book for just a second. Why did you think you needed to write a new book on missions? Well, Bronwyn and Holman uh, came to me and I asked them, well, what kind of missions book to write? And they said, something between a scholarly book and a popular book, <laughs> which isn't a lot of uh, definition. So I just sat down and started writing and went sequentially through what I thought students should know. And so one of the hardest chapters was the church history chapter, because mm. uh, the history of missions, because you want to make sure that you don't leave anything out, but you can't spend more than a paragraph or so about something, uh, somebody that a whole book is written about. Right. So we, even when you think of like uh, some of the great mission histories that have been done before, like Kenneth Scott Lauderette's multi-volume set just on basically a hundred year period, it's crazy to think about how much you encapsulated in a chapter. That's right. And with other subjects as well, such as theology or mission strategy, uh, I try to cover everything so that uh, the pastor, the missionary, the scholar, uh, the church member, a missions committee member, uh, would be able to pick it up and kind of be um, educated about what missions is all about. That's great. This is why, listeners, you need to pick this volume up, and you can order it online at the Sword and Trowel Bookstore. Uh, you can also order it online at Amazon, pretty much anywhere anywhere books are sold. We'd love to have you on our beautiful campus as things are starting to uh, open back up in a uh, somewhat post-pandemic uh, environment. You could come and check out the Sword and Trowel Bookstore for yourself on our beautiful campus in Kansas City. If you're around, we'd love to see you here. So let's turn, though, to talk a little bit about Columba. Columba is a fascinating character who accelerated missions activity uh, during the latter half of the 6th century. Uh, from your perspective as a, a missions professor, uh, why should our listeners know anything about him? Well, Columba is someone that we don't often hear about, 
Uh, sometimes uh, people, when they hear the name, they think Columbo from the old TV program, <laughs> and that's about uh, as far as they know about him. But uh, many wonder where uh, Christianity kind of began in Scotland, and it is sort of surprising that this uh, man from Ireland brought Christianity to Scotland. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that's one of the most fascinating things about this. So, yeah, you, you have this young man. Well, he's not quite so young by the time he comes to Scotland. He's 40. But uh, he, he gets in a boat, uh, basically a wicker boat covered with leather and uh, with a couple friends, uh, disciples, and uh, they set sail for Scotland. And it's on May 12th that they land on the island of Iona, which becomes sort of their, uh, their main grounds for engagement within the mission task. How does he kind of set about his task? What is his method or kind of philosophy that we see play out in his lifetime? Well, he was a son of a king, or a tribal chieftain anyway, and um, he he was a, sort of banned, or at least uh, they were happy for him to leave Ireland <laughs> because he did the terrible thing of copying a copy of the Psalms. That's right. In the vernacular. And so... Um, would it be that uh, uh, we'd had all of our young men today doing that sort of thing? But uh, so for that, he was persecuted. Um, uh, a war was fought. He he left uh, with twelve companions, at least so so the story goes. And uh, landing in Iona, uh, this Celtic mission became known as Iona Mission because. Uh, you're right. They started this as their from, from their base, and they went out throughout uh, what's known as Scotland, and um, it, it's it's just remarkable. I, I think it's wonderful that he took twelve people with him, uh-huh. uh, because this is kind of a scriptural number, and <laughs> and he sent them out to preach, proclaim the gospel. But what is notable is that they took over a pagan holy place and transform that into a monastery. Now, a lot of missions in this day uh, went out from monasteries. Uh, they didn't have, so to speak, denominations yet or mission boards for sure. And so these uh, missionary monks or those who had set themselves aside uh, for the gospel uh, would headquarter um, in, in, in this place. It was like a, a megalith where they um, uh, launched their mission work throughout uh, what became known to be Scotland. Hmm. So as he's setting sail, uh, he does so after being trained very well. I mean, it, as a Christian in Ireland, with a, even though he had this um, these battles that were fought uh, because he translated a copy of the Scriptures, he, he had some of the best education of his day. He had a, a seminary education. Uh, he studied under some of the leading... Um, Christians uh, in Ireland of the day, and when push came to shove, uh, his press for uh, translation of Scripture put him out, and uh, he uses that as an opportunity to launch mission work. And so in in so doing, as he goes into Scotland, um, he's sending out his disciples, he's doing this as well. Uh, are they planting churches? Are they starting new monasteries? Are they just doing one-to-one evangelism? How are they understanding the task before them and trying to set that up for uh, the advance of the gospel? 
Well, what, what's interesting is evidently there were some Celtic people who had settled in this area. And so they began with what we would call near culture um, target group, uh, natural affinity. But then they began to work also among the Scottish people. They did plant churches. Um, they did, you know, uh, evangelism. Uh, monasteries were started, but those were a bit later. Yes, he was highly educated, um, and you can see just what a great job St. Patrick did because it was just a generation after Patrick that you have uh, this now bursting forth of missions to a neighboring country. And that is a story that uh, is yet another one to be told, right? We've done a podcast before on St. Patrick, and you can go back and, uh, and listen to that. Uh, and understanding uh, how important Patrick was for the evangelization of Ireland. But as you're pointing out, what an incredible thing that we're moving from within a generation, uh, the evangelization of Ireland, to now taking the gospel from Ireland to parts of northern Scotland that up to this point really had not been uh, evangelized. What, what an incredible uh, opportunity and uh, way to take, uh, to really to see that full cycle of the of the gospel taking root in a culture, but then the natural progression of that to move forward into uh, gospel advance. Yes, and when you left what might be called sort of civilization in Ireland to go to uh, what's now Scotland, you're talking about a very wild Mm-hmm. Scotland uh, would have been in the 500s of the 6th century. And so you you really are just amazed uh, because it's almost like you're dropping off the face of the earth. Right. You lo- get in that boat and without modern communications, uh, he was just there but was willing to plant his life in, in a new uh, culture. Yeah, in fact, he, he only goes back to Ireland once, and that's to help with uh, the establishment of a monastery uh, back on uh, back in Ireland to, to further kind of the missions training. It was uh, built particularly to be a mission training center and, and then to go from there so, uh, so, so that they could train more people to come over to Scotland to help do the mission work. So um, all of this is being done, uh, again, working from northern Scotland, if you're picturing a map, listener, you could kind of picture how Scotland reaches way up into the north. And so this, he's, his idea is to kind of press the gospel from the north down into the south, because southern Scotland had already had the gospel. Southern Scotland had already been uh, evangelized. But these uh, people groups in the far north, just because it was such, it's, it's such a rugged terrain, and because they had been isolated uh, due to that terrain, there oftentimes had not been uh, any any attempt at sharing the gospel there, and Columba and his followers um, are the ones who are going forward to to share the gospel. Anything else that you've always uh, you know as you've taught through the years? What are some of the the key things that you would say to students? You know, if you're looking at Columba, um, how does that help us understand the the mission's task in front of us? Well, Dr. Yates, you're well aware of this being a historian. Uh, the authors writing about Columba and Patrick would say that there were many others that we don't know about right. that also went out and evangelized. It's just we don't know their names in the same way that it happened in New Testament days. 
but th- that wasn't their motivation to have a name. They just went out because uh, the Holy Spirit sent them out. And so for students, uh, I, I remember when, when I first was given the, ch- the charge of um, there, there all these peoples in Tanzania. That was the first country we went to. And uh, many people could do the work that I was doing. I was pastoring in Los Angeles after seminary. Uh, but how many people are willing to go give their lives, uh, plant themselves overseas? And uh, that calling just came to me in that way. And that's one of the things I speak about in my book. You know, what is the missionary call? Um, I believe there really is one. Mm-hmm. I believe there's a call to service. Uh, there's a call to the ministry. There's a, I believe there's a call to pastor. But I believe there's also a special uh, missionary cross-cultural call where God says, you know, go to what you do not know. And that is exactly lines up with Columba. Now, part of that, you know, you never know what you experience. I was talking with you uh, before we went uh, on to record. Uh, one of my favorite stories of Columba has nothing to do with his mission work. It's his encounter with a Loch Ness monster. So uh, according to uh, Adaman, the the biographer of Columba and his uh, Vita, uh, the life of St. Columba, uh, he says that Columba had uh, come across a group of Picts, these uh, people groups that he was working with, and they were burying a man. And he was asking them uh, what had happened, and they told him that this water beast or this monster had uh, killed him. And uh, Columba thought that was interesting. Uh, they were uh, a little bit away from the, the famed Loch Ness. They were in, along the river Ness. And... Um, so he sends one of his guys who's traveling with him to swim to the other side. Uh, they were kind of scoping some things. And while uh, his uh, traveling companion is swimming, the, the monster, the, this uh, water beast, as it's called in the text, uh, starts coming up out of the water to go towards the, uh, the swimmer. But Columba uh, intervenes. He makes the sign of the cross, and he commands, go no further. Do not touch the man. Go back at once. And according to his biographer, as once Columbus' words were heard, the water beast stopped as if it had, quote, been pulled back with ropes and then fled. Um, so there you go. So maybe that's why the, the Loch Ness Monster is no longer in the river nest. He's now in the lock, <laughs> all based on, on Columba. I just love that story overall. But this is, uh, it, you know, again, when we start thinking about the, the missionary task and, and what's going on, there's all these stories of um, – men like Columba willing to go into the uncharted uh, with the hope of the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, and that's a great place, I think, even to, to close our episode today with a quote from Columba, a prayer that's attributed to him. Uh, listen to this. O Lord, grant us that love which can never die, which will enkindle our lamps but not extinguish them, so that they may shine in us and bring light to others. Most dear Savior, enkindle our lamps that they may shine forever in your temple. May we receive unquenchable light from you so that our darkness will be illuminated and the darkness of the world be made less. And with this prayer, Columba encouraged individuals to follow fully the task of sharing the light of the gospel despite the darkness wherever it would go. 
Listeners, thank you for joining us for this episode of This Week in Church History. Dr. Hadaway, thanks for joining us as well. We look forward to seeing you listeners next week on This Week in Church History.